I'm Joe. And I'm Reed. And this is Double Shot, the digital journal of two young professionals navigating growth in work and life. All right, on today's episode, our, our main topic of conversation is really around the idea of imposter syndrome. But as all episodes of this show, we take our tangents, we talk about maybe the future run club that's going to be happening here in Carmel before too long, uh, talk about the launch of this podcast and a couple of other things. So uh, we hope you enjoy. Because here's the thing, it was ten fifteen last night. Yeah. We were gonna run at six. And I get a text from Johnny's like, Yeah, I have some stuff. I need to be home at six thirty, so I'm gonna be running at five thirty. And my gut reaction in that moment was like, No chance. My legs are so tired, I'd run like an hour before then. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm just gonna leave my five o'clock alarm because that's probably too late. And then I got up at five with the alarm and was like, Forget you, Reed. And then out the door. Out the door. And there we are. It's funny. I had an interesting experience. So I didn't get a chance to work out in the morning yesterday because I've found that if I don't sleep enough, my recovery is just so bad from a like progression standpoint. I just can't keep up with what I do. And so yesterday morning I just had, I needed to be here by about 7.30 to get ready for a 7.45 like group coming in. And then our last thing for work ended at like 6. So I was here till about 6.15, 6.20. And uh, yesterday morning, I just knew, I was like, I'm not going to have time to get everything I would like to do workout-wise and get to the office in time. <clears throat> and so I didn't even like do, I didn't do anything yesterday morning. And I think it's the first time since Christmas Day that I've not done anything in the morning upon like waking up. And I was thrown. I was thrown so hard all day long. Like... The day felt long. It felt mm-hmm. weird. It felt unproductive. Like, it didn't feel unproductive. We got a lot of stuff done, but it kind of felt unproductive for no reason whatsoever. And did you end up doing your full workout in the evening? I got as much as I possibly could. Okay. I, I couldn't do conditioning, so I ended up doing about an hour and 20 minutes of, like, strength work. Was there some aspect of this, like, looming workout that you now know you have to do after work, too? No, because I normally drag? do both. Yeah. It was really just, like, a, I felt less sharp than usual, and I felt weird all day. Yeah. Which is like, and today I got back into my normal routine. It feels so good. Even though I almost never train on Thursdays, it's almost always re- like an active recovery day. Mm-hmm. Got up and did some lifting this morning. It's like, mm, back at it. I mean, I used to be a morning workout person. I do it occasionally. I mean, like on the weekends, I run maybe 7 a.m. or something like that. Mm-hmm. But just with work and how early I like to get to the office, I've just been, you know, doing it after. But at the time, that feeling of, how amazing the rest of the day is once you've had that morning workout. Like, yeah. I kind of miss that. I, I just like to bookend my day with movement. Mm-hmm. And it's a real luxury that I recognize at some point will probably go away, kids or life changes or something. But at this stage in my life, <clears throat> I'm able to get up without, like I get up about 6.15. So it's not even that early. And I'm able to get in the garage, do some work, come to the office, work get out of work and it's like my transition moment is like I'm gonna go move again and I'm like into the next part of my day I think what I might need to do when in my mind I've I you know as we've talked about have been struggling to get back to lifting yeah but in my mind that what that looks like is going in and doing a 90 minute all-out thing whereas maybe what I start with is like I do it in the mornings and I do a couple compound movements 90 minutes is a long time of straight lifting yeah that's like competitive crossfitter amount of lifting mm-hmm. on a given day 
that's like that used to be my routine. Yeah. Um, but I feel like what I should do now is since I'm going to run every day, I'm not going to eliminate that. And because I have concerns around fatigue, I should just like go and like bench and squat. I would pick, yeah, I'd pick an upper, upper and lower compound movement. And if you wanted to do two, you could even get away with doing just two days a week. Bench squat, overhead press deadlift done. Yeah. Just need the gym. Yeah. Just There's a lot the of them. There's, There's many, them. many gyms around. Very close. I know. I have no excuse. It's all, that's all frugality. I understand. There's places where we need to be frugal. We've talked about how unfrugal you are in other spots. Yes. It's totally understandable. I spend an, a normal but somewhat uncomfortable amount on my fitness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you put in like travel for events and things. Yeah, um, for sure. So what's up in, what's up in your life, Reed? Uh, those are really the things, man. Just getting into the year, you know. Yeah, big. how's the, how's the year starting? I feel like the first week we talk about goals and then it's easy to like keep track of them. Mm-hmm. And then the moment busyness starts hitting, it's like I have a hard time keeping track of them. So we we talked about those goals, but admittedly like I I inside knew that those are the things that I'm marching towards this year, but I actually would say that I have not been in the mindset of pushing for those goals yet. Mm. Uh, even on the run this morning, I was talking about how the it was very busy going into the end of the year. Yep. And that with that comes some fatigue. Mm-hmm. And a week off did not remove that fatigue. So I'm still sort of letting that fade a bit. Yeah. And given we came into the year going 100 miles an hour and We've all really things. did. <laughs> uh, so I'm not really even in the headspace of like thinking about those goals yet. It's more of like, let's just let January happen. Yeah. And then I'll focus on those things. How do you... Mm. The fatigue thing is so interesting. I know exactly. I, I think I know exactly what you mean in terms of it's like you get a break and then you're like, oh, I get a break. And then you're like, oh, crap, my break's over. And you're like, you haven't really had a chance to get back to zero. Mm-hmm. I saw um, a post the other day. I don't remember what it was from, but it was kind of talking about the difference between like rest and recuperation. Mm. Like you can be rested and not recuperated yet yep. or rejuvenated yet. And um, I, it's interesting. Like I... I find that I do best um, when I take consistent breaks and then the ability to get the momentum spinning again happens faster. Um, Which is honestly what I plan to do this year because yeah. we've talked about this and like it's kind of the difference between like PTO and a sabbatical and I'm probably never going to have a sabbatical to like ah, truly who knows? reset. I mean, maybe who yeah. knows, but to that point of like, when you don't take any vacation until you take vacation, yeah, that vacation doesn't do the job of the recovery that you need. So I want to do the like take four day weekends every once in a while yeah. and that kind of thing. Like I feel like you're a bit better about because four days at home genuinely feels like a lot. Yeah, you're like ah, oh. because the first day you're like oh I don't have anything to do, and the next day you're kind of like oh okay, so I don't really have anything to do. And the third day you're like kind of ready for have something to do. And the fourth day you're like I'm ready to get back after it. Yeah, it's sort of like. And then the difference itself. being that, like, if I'm just doing some four day weekends, that's a lot different than it being vacation, but also the holidays, right? And family obligations and gatherings and yada yada. Yeah, yada, right? I didn't. Holidays didn't even feel like a break. Yeah, they really didn't feel like a break. They were a blast. They were super fun, but it felt like going on an all inclusive trip with your friends. Mm-hmm. And you get back and you're like, "That was vacation," but I didn't rest at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just went fast. Um, so yeah, like so I feel you. I. I'm not in the headspace of goals, but I am also like running yeah. 18 miles on Sunday to continue progressing towards the marathon. Right. So, you know. Doing the things. Doing the things. Following your training plan. What about you? Um, I bought a journal that my friend turned me on to to track these things. 
I get, I'm really bad at um, deprioritizing important for urgent. And um, my world is very response oriented, right? So um, I might have nothing going on and then I'll have like everything going on. And Mm -hmm. um, that just really depends on what is happening in the sales cycle and how many deals are working and when are people getting back to you and et cetera. And um, with that, what can happen to me is I can set priorities. And this year we talked about how I really have like priorities less than hard and fast things to go do. And uh, when things get urgent, when they're not labeled, the important things that I want to run after get completely forgotten. And so one of my friends who I grew up playing soccer with um, and we reconnected through actually through the gym when he moved back to Indianapolis, um, he uses these things called full focus planners and they like, they do them quarterly. I've learned now that the most of these things are done quarterly. So Mm -hmm. they'll send like a journal every quarter for you to use. And it has like prompts and organization and reflection time and all this sort of stuff. And um, I'm excited about getting it because I've never tried that sort of thing before. Yeah. Um, And, I've been trying to journal a little bit this year, sans prompts, and I found that with prompts, I do a little better. So mm-hmm. I'm excited about that and trying to stay on track with things that I want to get after um, in a way that is not like, and then I will do 12 reps of blah, but it's more like, did you make progress toward this thing? Mm-hmm. And it's esoteric and sort of like, esoteric is the wrong word. It's um, intangible enough that like I know if it's right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really all I need for my personal stuff. The, the prompts is a really interesting idea because, you know, we've talked about journaling and I know there are other people here who, who do that too, be it a gratitude journal or otherwise. Yeah. And I've thought about the idea of just sitting down and writing my thoughts and that feels very abstract to me, mm-hmm. obscure. Like I, would, I feel like I'd really struggle with that, but having some sort of specific prompts I think would be useful to that exercise. I think I've brought up Breakfast with the Chip like four times because he just speaks knowledge mm-hmm. and we were talking about journaling and um, well, we were talking about like spiritual practices in general, and he said that um, he has like a spiritual coach, which is a cool idea. Um, but he said one day she just told him, you need to sit with a notebook, and until you fill three pages of free writing, you're not allowed to leave. And Interesting. It like, he was like, things would come out of me, that I'd be like, where did that come from? I've never even thought of, like, I've never consciously. And this is without prompts. Without prompts. It's just like, you have three pages in front of you, fill them. Which sounds like, for some reason, terrifyingly challenging. <laughs> I just wouldn't know how to get started. Yeah, the first line would be hard. Yeah, which is like not a groundbreaking revelation. But no. Still. That's where we get chat GPT. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> chat GPT, start my journal. Start my journal. Any content you've been diving into lately? Uh, I don't, I feel like this is a new development since we last, it is, since we last spoke, because we had the idea of what's the category of things I don't worry about spending yeah. money on. yeah. And for you, that's books. Books. And I essentially didn't consider, and one of the other things I've talked about is in the past is this idea of how I feel like reading is missing from my world. I read a ton. I don't read books that okay. much. I'm reading content. Yeah, constantly. blogs, articles, things of that nature. And, you know, New York Times to automotive publications, sure. you name it. But I bought three books. Hmm. And that's sort of my attempt of like, I didn't buy a book that anybody told me I had to purchase. I bought three books that I was just kind of wanted, and we're going to see if that works. Yeah, remind me, you got a watch book? I got a book It's called, see, I, there's part of this that I don't like, but it's, um, I think it's called A Man and His Watch. Okay. 
and it's a huge like it's a coffee table oh cool book. yeah um but it's about that sort of relationship and does some history of different watches and that kind of thing um i just think it's like the masculine aspect of it rubs mm. me the wrong way a little yeah. bit of it has to be a man and his watch <laughs> is like eh. like why but i like that's not really the intent behind the book, right? It's not saying that it's like a masculine endeavor to be into watches because it's not. But that's one uh, that was the like most just fun. Yeah. And then I got two Godins. Oh, so, yeah. So um, a couple of those will you be... Purple Cow? Uh, no. Okay. Mm. I, I think that's the first one, right? I mean, he's written so he's, many. I, that's why I'm like, I don't remember yeah. all the names. I got but. his like 2020 published book and then one of the other ones. I don't know. I believe he's been writing on like Seth.blog for... 10 or 12 years without missing a day long time yeah it's pretty wild yeah so admittedly that was sparked by one of the other pieces of content that i always consume being rituals podcast yeah and seth was on i saw he was on there and i haven't listened to it yet i need to turn it on i've listened to like the first two thirds it's excellent he's awesome yeah every time i hear him talking like you're awesome yeah um so those are the three books and then also what are you most excited about which one which one yeah um i'd so funny enough, I feel like we've talked about this before, maybe not on this show, but when you tell me to like pick a most or a favorite oh, or whatever, I I struggle with that. So it's not like yeah. I'm the most excited about this one of the three books. It's like I'm excited to read these. Just nice. like if you like tell me what's a favorite movie, yeah. I'm not gonna tell you a movie. I can yeah. tell you movies that I like. They're not gonna be like, this is my favorite movie of all time. So that idea of like labeling a number one, two, three is kind of abstract to me. Man. Um I, I like sp- that. I'm gonna try to internalize that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's so. Which one am I most excited about? All three. All three. And yeah. then I was also gifted um, another coffee table book, but I actually do want to read it. There is some content. It's uh, accidentally Wes Anderson. All the images and, and whatnot. All the images, yeah, and then there's stories of each of them. So um, just excited for all of them. Very cool. Given I've had the Wes Anderson one for a couple weeks now and haven't really opened it beyond page one. So, yeah. You know, we'll see. We'll look through it when you have the time yeah. and desire. What about you? Um, I started reading Black Swan, which is Nassim Taleb's book. Mm-hmm. For one of his books, he has a it's like four part series, mm-hmm. but you can read them in any order. And it's like anti fragility. I, f- I forget all of them. Um, he's much smarter than me. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> you know it's one of those people that you read and you're like, wow, you you think a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, well, when you write, you have to. It makes you think. Yeah, it's the nice thing about writing. Um, but yeah, he's got an interesting background. He grew up in. Lebanon during the Lebanese Civil War. Um, it's where he starts the book. And this the, the premise of the book is there are unforeseen, huge, life-changing, world-altering events that happen that he calls Black Swans. And um, I'm only like a third of the way through it because it is dense and hefty. And I, I reread, like I'll read a section and be like, wait, I didn't grasp anything he just said and like have to go reread it. Um, but I, I believe the premise is like, here's how to operate inside of that world, how to think inside of that world and how to not be, how to be like a healthy form of skeptical, mm-hmm. which I feel like is a big part of um, my development professionally is not just like run around trusting everything I see. You are. I'm highly influenceable. Yeah. And so the ability to have some, like some discernment is a helpful thing for me. We need to meet in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. We can be influenced each other yeah. that way. I'm the, I'm the skeptic. Although I feel like I'm less so than I used to be. I feel that from you. Yeah. Yeah. Feel better amounts of trust, mm-hmm. but healthy amounts of, nah, at the same time. 
try to find the right balance yeah. there. We'll see. But definitely have historically been a, just a skeptic. So, but yeah, it's been it's been fun. It's a hard. It's it's like a ph- philosophy sort of book. So there's like a your lot. Your brain there. is tired after reading. Your brain is tired after reading it. Yeah, yeah. I try to get through. At minimum, I am like a little section a day and try to do a chapter. How so. frequently do you complete a book? Um, it depends on what the book is. If it's um like a highly digestible book. Fiction books, a weekend. It's done. It's gone. Um, maybe three or four days. Uh, this book will take me a month, most likely. It's about 380-ish pages. And Will it be the only thing that you read during that month? Most likely, but I might pick up, like, I think I've mentioned to you before, I have this giant anthology of the Sherlock Holmes yeah. stories. Mm-hmm. I might pick up that one night when I just want to break. Okay. I pretty much read every night before I go to bed. That was um, going to be the follow-up question. Is, yeah. So it's a very consistent habit. It's a you. consistent habit, and it's a habit like both Katie and I really enjoy. That That's one of the things, admittedly, I one thing I've been bad about that I've actually started to put some pieces in place to, to help move in the right direction, but I've been very bad for the last year about being on screens close to mm. going to bed. And I know it's terrible, and I do it anyways. I just within the last week and a half have started using the sort of like focus time features mm. on my phone. Yeah. So that like after 9.30, I I mean, I could override it, but I can't open Instagram and mm-hmm. YouTube and Spotify and those types of things because I need more sleep or better sleep just yeah. based on like the output and the exercise feeling? and yeah. all those kinds of things. Like should I have actually run at 5.30 this morning after I ran at 6 yesterday and maybe got six hours of sleep? Like, it's not ideal, right? Yeah, yeah, and you can do it every now and again. Yeah, and but, and that's what I told myself yeah. is this is a sort of rare occasion. But point being, I just need better sleep quality in general. So what I need to do and what I want to do is replace that screen time habit with a reading habit yeah. and having that be the way that I wind down. Um, but to me, and maybe I will experience this differently, but in my mind... That experience of reading a book just feels like a slow, slower process compared to the pace with which I'm used to consuming information. Totally. And so that's going to be a good positive shift for me, yeah. but a difficult shift. It will it will feel kind of weird where you're like, when am I going to get the punchline? Mm-hmm. Especially for the more like instructional sorts of books, like what Seth Godin would write. Yeah. Or um, like, you know business expertise that you read like that like it builds on itself and you're like oh there's a point there's a point there's a point but what's the like thing Mm -hmm. whereas when you consume most content nowadays it's like you get the thing inside of 60 to 180 seconds and yeah there it is yeah so like yesterday funny enough i in in this world of trying to get away from screens i set these parameters up so i can't use certain apps so then i just ended up doing other things on a screen so what that became is at (laughs) 10.30 10.30 last night, I was building out some of the cars that I'm considering <laughs> and just laying there at 10.30 of like, ooh, what yeah. did that paint color from BMW kind of thing? Yeah, it's interesting, man. I haven't done a good enough job of like totally eliminating blue light before bed to know if it would really help me or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I fall asleep really quickly and I don't wake up very much during the night. Like if I have to go to the bathroom, that's it. And so you don't really experience any of the bad outcomes that supposed but to be would be happening. But I could be. Like, it's one of those things like you don't know how don't good the sleep actually, will be. Exactly. I don't yeah. know how good the sleep would be. Mm-hmm. It's like somebody who doesn't sleep in a totally dark room. They're like, yeah, I think I'm sleeping fine. And then they sleep in a totally dark room and they're like, wow, I fall asleep really fast and I'm out. 
Yeah. It's like, yeah, there's differences here. You might like wake up the next morning and be like, oh, that's what this is supposed to right. feel like. Yeah. Just like for me, I used to know, but for the last two years, I have not known what it was like to wake up and like have my legs feel good <laughs> and recovered. <laughs> they just, they feel like cinder blocks every day for the last 700 days. You might, <laughs> might consider fixing that. <laughs> uh, maybe. That might be a sign of overtraining. But I, I, it's to your point under recovery. Yeah. Everything's under recovery. Yeah. Um, because my volume compared to the volume of many, 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 many people is nothing. Yeah, your volume of food intake is also nothing compared to those same individuals. <laughs> You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. Dude, people eat a lot to fuel that kind of endurance training. Yeah. A lot. So when I crushed half a tub of cottage cheese last night, that's fine. That is also cottage cheese. <laughs> it's just one of the not like very excellent. caloric, density, yeah. dense foods you can eat. I know. Okay. All right, what are we talking about today? Uh, so I feel like this started with an idea of honestly somewhat tied to this podcast yeah. of just being more visible, a more visible human in the world. Uh-huh. Um, and given we have very different personalities, I feel like for uh, just preferences along those lines and previous exposure along those lines. But then you brought up the idea of like, is it really an imposter syndrome thing or what is it? So I feel like that's the thing for us to explore a little bit. Yeah, to give it the exact example, we we published our third episode of this show and I was like, I'm sharing this one on Instagram and then you shared it and you texted me and you were like, that was painful. Yep. Um, Which is funny because we on our other podcast are uh, 17 episodes in and have yeah. been doing it for like nine months. Yeah. But it felt different. I think it's because we're not the people who are really giving ideas on our podcast. With Element 3. We're there to facilitate. We're facilitating people who are smarter than us giving their perspective on things. Yeah. And like we might add a, like an observation and hopefully that adds some value, but it's not, we don't have the burden of responsibility for the quality of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and that breaks away from, in your brain, it's like, oh, that makes it not on my responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I think for, for this, like, this is just us, like, blabbing into a microphone. Yep. And it's like, is, is anything that we're putting out um, useful? Hopefully, like, entertaining as much as valuable. Maybe there's some well, of I think Well, I think like, entertainment is useful. Yes, yeah, true, like, true. People are going to be doing something to stay entertained. Like, look at, the, look at the highest grossing industries outside of, like, cloud computing and things like that. But, I mean, you know, consumer-facing industries, people who get paid the most are musicians, and athletes yeah by and large and those people exist for entertainment yeah there's no value in what they do outside of that so it's it's interesting i feel like the podcast is a, is a piece of the puzzle for me yeah um i would say there's there's a few things though because i generally have operated as the behind the scenes person let's take the content that element three produces for instance yep. the marketing content of i'm putting tons of people on camera but I've maybe been the one who has chosen to step in front of the camera once. Yeah. Last week, put out a video that, that I was the person, or was it this week? Maybe this week. I think it was this week because it was in this week's newsletter. Yeah. And even that is like a slight level of discomfort for me of like, and I don't know if it's a ego thing and not that I have, but that maybe I don't have enough. I don't know. Like, but so just the idea of being or it's more an visible, ego protection thing, ego protection, something like that. And, Another example of this of being, I want to get back to the opportunity of like public speaking. I would love to get on stages speaking about what we do, whether that's yeah. in the business context or 
the educational context for students, mm-hmm. whatever that is. And I really want to do that, and I really enjoy it. And yet, there's pause. So I feel like that's that's the thing. But how does it show up, or does it not show up for you? Um, okay, let me ask you a question before I answer that. Um, are you somebody who's always thought it would be cool to meet celebrities or the people that you like look up to or follow, whether it's athletes, content creators, um, people who make certain products, like the things that you engage with and the people behind them, have you always felt like it would be cool to meet those people? Uh, not in the sense of like idolizing celebrity. Like I'm not somebody who's very into celebrity, let's say, but what I, and so what I would not want is to like just meet somebody and have a shallow interaction. Like would I want to sit down and have a conversation with a content creator whose stuff I consume as like person to person? Yes. Okay. Would I want to meet famous person whose thing I have consumed and been like, oh my gosh, it's so great to meet you. No, I okay. don't care about that. Yeah. Um, you're one of the only people I know besides me who feels that way. Really? That I've asked. Um, so this was one of my theories of it is that I've never, I've really never put people on a pedestal Mm-mm. because I just don't find them that impressive. Like I love sports. They're a huge part of my life. Um, like I am actively excited for this weekend because it's NFL wildcard weekend. Mm-hmm. I'm not even a football guy. I'm just like pumped for the like feeling of playoffs. It's just fun. I've never once been like, Oh my gosh. I get to meet this athlete, you yeah. know, like, like with an actor, right? Like Brad Pitt is an excellent actor. Yeah. Do I put him on a pedestal and idolize him? No. Do I think that he is good at his craft? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like, and that, that's people where, that are and that's successful, like for me, they, they are humans who work hard and have some innate talent. Yeah. Great. Great. And that's how I feel about it. And I think that allows me to be like, if I don't really care about that person who's like done it, nobody cares about me already. Mm-hmm. So what I have to lose is zero. So I don't feel this pressure to be something special. Okay. So I just give my thoughts. But what about if, so you're a high eye on yeah. the disc, right? Yeah. In a world where you are exceedingly visible because yeah. of Element 3 endeavors or otherwise, and there's inevitably people passing judgment on you that you will receive in some capacity sure does that idea because like right now we're talking about it sort of in theory yeah because our level of visibility is is pretty low um so let's say that it's it's a a larger stage a broader presence like does that make you feel any differently about the idea you know it's possible like the biggest stage i've been in front of i think i've been i think i was in front of about like a thousand people at like a graduation ceremony that I gave a mm-hmm. speech for at my high school, which means like nothing. Right. And that was like fairly nerve wracking. Mm-hmm. Um, once I got started, I was fine. But like walking onto the stage and being like, I'm supposed to say something that has relevance to 55 year old parents and 18 year old kids. That's a little bit weird. Um, I think the idea that negative feedback won't impact me is lying. Like, it just isn't true. I know. I know myself. Mm-hmm. I also think that um, I don't know. There's something about. I just enjoy doing it. Yeah. So I just don't really care. Um, and for me, the the reason I and this is sort of the competing thing is I don't want to be on a stage to be on a stage and be like, oh, Reed is yeah. here. But the idea that like. When you're on a stage, that means you're in front of more humans. You're having impact, let's say, on more people. Yeah. Like, that's what's exciting. 
Yeah. Like if I'm speaking to multiple people, there's probably a reason for that. And that that's the opportunity to have impact is interesting. Yeah. In the same way that um, I th- maybe what it is is that I just balance the idea that, well, somebody, and this is what makes the podcast actually harder for me. I'm, I'm starting to unpack this in real time. When I've, when I've done like, um, when I've hosted events, when I was in college, I hosted a couple events for our university for like um, the athletics department. It was super fun. Um, and then afterwards I've done, um, spoke at graduation from my high school and, um, spoke at like an, another banquet for athletics. Um, I've done a few things, right? I've been invited. So somebody who runs the thing was like, Hey, you'd be good at this. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, thank you. I will be good at this. I appreciate your confidence. I'll go do it. Versus deciding like, I'm going to put a thing that should be exactly. There. Nobody told me like, Joe, you know what? I mean, people have said like, have you ever, have you ever thought about doing your own podcast? I've had somebody ask me that, but like never been like, you need to, you have, you have thoughts and perspectives that need to be in the world. Which I think is where we get to your idea of the imposter syndrome, right? Of like, do I actually quote, like deserve to be here? Should I be here? Do I have something to say? Yeah. All of those types of things. And then I was actually really funny. I was listening to a podcast on the way in today and they got feedback. They they were reading feedback um, from a from a listener, like a question from a listener. And they were like, hey, a lot of what you say is from this book. You should give them credit. And they were like, well, we do. And you're right, we, and we do. But we can't like cite everything we've ever read from every person that we allow to influence us in the middle of a show was kind of their point. They were like, and also I, I don't even remember because this person was influenced by this person and this person and this, like how far back do we want to go with the mm-hmm. ideas? And so there's also part of me that's like, well, who, who, um, who's anybody to have perspective? Like if we just went off of experience only, then we shouldn't really let anybody but like 70-year-olds tell us what they think. Mm-hmm. And the benefit, of, the benefit of youth is that you might not have built-in perspectives that are starting to close your mind to other ways of doing things. And the downside of youth is that you have not had the experiences that give you real life teaching. And I think it's okay. And I think that if we were on here saying like our podcast is our um, telling you how to do this or that, we would have to be like, and here's my credentials that give me perspective or experience or training or something that allows me to tell you this is what you should be doing. Here are the sources, the training, like the research that was done. Here's the second hand credibility. Yeah. This is you and I just like, workshopping we're going through life yeah we're experiencing we're experiencing it and so i think it's like well who's better to give experience on what it means to be a young professional than people who are young professionals and that experience is not like here's what it means to work but it's like hey we have this job that we love and we want to grow in and we also have lives that we really care about and like how do we manage that and what's the balance of those things and like here's the stuff that goes through your head that trips us up let's have a space to talk about it it's like there's really no in my head, there's like, it could end up being completely uninteresting and that's okay. I don't really care if we get zero downloads or not because I enjoy the process of doing it and it's very helpful for my brain mm-hmm. to get on and export things that are in my head. Yep. And so it, it's like, I don't feel a lot of imposter syndrome around it, but maybe just because I don't care. So does then imposter syndrome show up anywhere else for you? Because I think I've seen some interesting perspectives, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't remember who said it. Some LinkedIn post, of course. But, and this is, again, not like an original thought. This person got it from somebody sure. who got it from somebody. But the idea was like, you have imposter syndrome, good. Because if you don't, you're probably a bit of an egomaniac. <laughs> 
you know, yeah. of like the idea of that slight discomfort with your own progression mm. is a good thing because if you're the person who shows up like, oh yeah, I deserve to be here. Like that's I have all the answers. an indicator yeah. of something worse. So where does it show up for you? Um, there's a term for that that Brian Kavicki brings up. They have it as a a check in their sales process at Lucian. It's um, intellectual humility. Hmm. It's the ability to both know you have perspective that matters and recognize that there's other perspective that also matters. Um, and I really like that term. Like intellectual humility is, is, is awesome. The people, I, I think like John and Kyler exemplify that. Two people on the team here at Elementary. Yeah, yeah, that I just love like learning from them, seeing them do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do it differently. They just have very different personality types, but like you can tell like, oh, you know a ton and you know so much that you know how much you don't know. It sort yes. of hit that level. Mm-hmm. Um, where it shows up for me is I just started doing client work mm-hmm. for the first time in my life. I was never intentionally meant to do client work. And then it just so happened that inside of our starting framework at Element 3, I'm the one who got trained on how to do part of it. And other people will be, and that's great. Um, and then we'll all do it. But right now, I'm the one who does it. And yeah. I do it with new clients. And I've felt it pop up a little bit where it's like, wait, I'm supposed to have a thought on this? Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be the one that's like giving perspective on this? And it's like, I'm used to just being the one who doesn't know anything, like intentionally doesn't know anything. You hand it off to the people who do the things. Right. <laughs> now you're doing <laughs> Now I'm doing some things. And um, I've felt it sort of like bubble for mm-hmm. a moment. And then, and then I just remember something, no, 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 like, if I didn't know, and it goes back to what I said before, where like somebody invited me, so I felt fine. Mm-hmm. I was told by people who run Element Three, like, yeah, you're going to do this. Yeah, and it's like, okay, well, what am I going to do? Say no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and the thing is too, like, even if there is some imposter syndrome there, you have the discipline to like, you need to be trained on this business model canvas. Like, your your discipline was going to ensure that you did the training that made sure that you knew things you needed to know, right? It's not like you're just like thrown in there and we're just trying to figure it out as you went. Like you were methodical in getting to the place where that was okay. And one thing that just came to my mind, like Danielle is somebody who, um, on like the podcast we did with her, she talked about preparation leading to confidence. She never strikes me as somebody who feels imposter syndrome Mm-mm. at all. Dope. Love her energy. Love the like. Also intellectual humility. She's like, I know what I know. Mm-hmm. And there's other things too, but this stuff, I got it. Um, and I'm thinking about, I think a lot of the way that at you know 29, I act is still heavily, heavily influenced by how I grew up. And there was a point in time in soccer where I was like playing four years ahead. So I was 14 playing with our U18s. And that was weird. And I like remember it being kind of weird because mm-hmm. um, I was like, I mean, there's the difference between an 18 year old guy and a 14 year old guy is like pretty ex- significant, ex- significant yeah. physical mm-hmm. difference. You can tell. And um, I, I remember playing like many games where w- with the 18s where I was like, it's kind of weird that I'm on the field. And it just kind of had to get used to that feeling of it being kind of weird mm-hmm. to be in the position that you're in. And I wonder if part of that is the reason that in the future, like having worked through that feeling so that I could, you know, play my sport and having success in that moment, like making good plays and being an asset to the team. It's like, oh, okay. Like just because it looks different doesn't mean it's wrong. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, all right, well, 
I don't know who's who's anybody to be in the position. Like, why not me? Sort of that element of like, well, why not? Um, so when you first had to jump into say doing client work, yeah, did you feel like the fourteen year old with playing with the U eighteens at all? A, a little. I think I might have. Yeah. I don't think I identified it in the moment. But this is why, again, I love doing what we do with this show. Is like it is an audio journal for me mm-hmm. to like get through my brain and sort of export what's been in my head. And I don't think I ever put my finger on it, but yeah, I probably did. So does then, like, obviously with with that specific example of you getting into client work that's outside of your normal roles and responsibilities, like, you are doing that thing. And again, it was yeah. on some level you knew, like, you were told you, you kind of have to do this thing, right? Yeah. Is there anywhere in your world, professional or otherwise, that some aspect of an imposter syndrome gets in the way and is actually preventing you from doing anything? Like, I should not be the person who is doing X, and it actually goes to the point of stopping you from doing so. Because from an outside perspective, like, you do... like you're I wonder go- if it does athletically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because like, you're going did- to the game, like, you're going to this competition. I almost didn't go. Remember? Mm-hmm. We but, talked about this? So, and, and when we talked about this, yeah. it was really a, like this whole thing around your commitment to the sport and how serious you are about it and if that needs to change, right, on some level. Did, or, did I bring up to you the lunch I had with Cornelius about this? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. And he's like, you need to go. He was like, you have something wrong with you around, like, competition. Competition, yeah. And not, like, inherently wrong with you. Like, you've built some sort of block in your head where you don't want to expose yourself to that failure again. I think there might be a little layer of... A little bit. ...that in here as well. Uh-huh. It's kind of like... Like, do you feel like you qualified and you performed well in the things yeah. for this competition? Yeah. Do you feel like you deserve to be there? Yeah, totally. But let me tell you where I feel weird. Okay. I'm like one of the oldest people in this group. Mm. You know, like, um, the thing that keeps me from being in like the next tier up is strength. And for whatever reason, I've sort of told myself this story like, well, you're a so- you were a soccer player. You're not, soccer players aren't strong. You're not going to be strong. Which doesn't feel like imposter syndrome. It feels more like artificial ceilings. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I will not lie when I was looking through like the list of... So there were like 480 people who were trying to compete in this division. Top 70 go. I was 21st. When I was looking through the people around me, it was like age 23, 24, 26, 22, 21, 20, 28. So somebody close to me. Somebody was like 31. I was like, oh, okay, there's like a couple, but like most everybody was between about 22 and 25 or 26 years old. And it was like, oh, like you guys just haven't had enough reps. And so then I'm like, I should be farther along. And mm-hmm. then I start doing this like comparison game and it makes me feel uncomfortable. Um, and then I'm like, well, why? And then it gets to be like, well, this is like, I don't know if this is really imposter syndrome coming up. It's more of like, I don't even know how to talk, to describe it, but it's like, why are this is weird. Like, is it weird that you're like 29 and doing this and you like, just give up. You're not far enough along. You shouldn't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, which is like stupid. And I know that, but I don't know if it shows up in that, in that world either. Yeah. Like, like, Oh, you're like an ex college athlete. Stop trying to act like you're not washed up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like in the, in the worst terms of it, there's that. Yeah. I think it's just funny as you're talking about that, this idea of like, 
well, all these people are 20, whatever, but I'm yeah. 20, whatever. It's like from the outside, it's like, <laughs> is that a joke? Yeah, I mean, you're I'm like two years year. older than know, these people. I know, it's weird. But in the world of athletics and sports, like that is more of a thing. Than yeah, it is in, like, two the years is like world. a decade yeah. for, for athletics. Oh, or at least, you know, it sometimes is. Yeah, then you're like, oh man, I'm with these like 26 year olds. I'm like, <laughs> piss off. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, where, I've, you've been like interviewing me. Yeah. Where's. Where where does it show up for you? Like, uh, what was your experience like when you were like hitting publish on this and then sharing it? Mm-hmm. Like, what were the feelings going through? Uh, I feel like some of that is not dissimilar in, in terms of the podcast specifically, right? It's like, oh, what do I have to say? But you coming up with really this concept of the audio journal is like, yeah, that's that's great. Let's explore it. Like, so yeah. uh, I would say like my own discomfort with with publishing the podcast probably wasn't actually an imposter syndrome thing. Okay. It was purely just a like, what's the feedback going to be? Yeah. Just a general discomfort with like being more public. I, was it that? Or is it like you hate bad content? I do hate, you bad hate content. publishing bad content. Yes. You, you are the champion of making sure that the stuff that comes out of our four walls is not to bad content. And that the idea that this might be bad, the is idea that this might be uncomfortable. Bad. Is that part of it or not? That might be. Okay. Yeah. So the way that, like, when you came to this idea of imposter syndrome, that's why it sort of feels like a separate discussion than mm-hmm. than publishing the podcast to me. But I know that that it does definitely prevent me from doing some things. Yeah, and we've talked about in the past and maybe even on the last episode that I don't identify as an athlete. Yeah, I like I cannot get myself to say that I'm an athlete. And one of the things that I've wanted to do for a long time is start a local run club. Yeah, right. But I know that one of the things that's in the way is me being like, I'm not a real runner. Who am I to start a run club? See, it's so funny because from my perspective, you're like the ideal individual to start a run club. You run all the time. You love it. You're super committed to it. You make it fit inside of your day. Um, And if it's a Carmel run club, you are the de facto mayor of Carmel. You don't ever leave Hamilton County. See, and that's (laughs) the thing, all those things being true, I think it's purely the, this idea that like I don't see myself as not a successful runner, but like, I'm not that great of, you know, it's like, who is this person who hasn't run a full marathon before and didn't run and have like serious training programs before or whatever? Like, who's yeah. that person to to do this? It's thing? sort of interesting. Um, it makes me think of some of the best soccer managers in the world were terrible professional players. Mm-hmm. Just super average. Some are, Some were great, but many of the best were not great they were like the equivalency of d1 athlete Mm -hmm. which is like you're good but you're not special and now you're going to be the best coach in the world yeah um the the things that we apply credibility to are nonsense to me like what what does being a successful runner get make you how does that make you a better run club leader which is so true and yeah because at the end of the day what i really care about i mean it doesn't right it doesn't like i one of the reasons I want to do this is I love the idea of building a community. Yeah. And one of my sort of personal purposes in life that I've come to is helping people push past their own ceilings. Yeah. And the idea of like, I could get a bunch of people that are all pushing themselves past what they thought they could do is like, yeah. that would be so fulfilling. That's literally me living out like my life's purpose. Yeah. And do I need to have run a Boston qualifier marathon to do that? Hell no. No. But for some reason, I don't know. It, that's where it shows up for me. Interesting. Yeah. So knowing that logically, like what what's the feeling you get when you when you say the logical like nonsense 
behind your blockers. They're like, I recognize that all the stuff is nonsense and that I should just do it. Yeah, but like, what's the emo? Like, do you feel like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go do it? Probably uh, not, right? Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the? I think what's the blocker there? The other layer is getting started, mm-hmm. like organically growing this thing from nothing. So if you could get like five people to, what's yep. what's your what's your minimum to start? Yeah, I mean, if I could get five to ten people that were committed to uh-huh. doing this thing once a week, yeah, and I knew that they would be there, great. That would that would solve a lot of it for me and then grow it from there because people who run know people who run and we could build it. But I think even that is setting the bar too high. Like if you need to somewhat okay. be, because that even saying like if I could get five to 10 people to commit every week, that's like not allowing failure to be an option and failure is 100% an option. Like I need to be okay with the fact that I might set something up and one person comes yeah. and that'll be awkward, but that's the process. Yeah. But I'm just not comfortable with that yet. Interesting. Yeah. But yeah, that's the thing. If like I could get a, a small group of people to do this and we've met more and more people, even through the podcast, yeah. like people that are runners, all these things. Like yeah. There is probably a network to pull on, but I feel like I have this head trash on like, I'm not going to actually be able to get these people to commit to this thing. Mm. Why do you think it's your responsibility to get them to commit? Uh, I don't think it's my responsibility to, but the bit of ego that does exist would probably be hurt if I like put so much effort into building this thing and nobody showed up. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like my bit of ego will be hurt if I go down to Austin and have a, and I just suck. Yeah. There's some amount of ego hurt there. Mm-hmm. Because like, truth be told, if I did start one, it will be small and probably pathetic for a period of time until what, it's not as all things what, are. What makes it pathetic? And that's my own thing. It wouldn't be pathetic in like yeah. me. I'm genuinely curious. What yeah. makes a run club pathetic or great? Uh, people doing it. Okay. Is that, yeah. is that and and pathetic is like a wrong, too negative of word. Uh-huh. But when I talk about building a run club, I don't want to like my the end vision for this is not that it's five people who hang out once a week sure. and run. It's like if I'm gonna do it, I want to do it and have the run club. You know what's interesting? This reminds me of the podcast. How long did you and I beat up the idea of hopping on a microphone? A while. A while, right? And I think we kept coming back to, we want it to be the thing. We want it to be like, like let's just be honest. Like, yeah, we, we enjoy it, so we don't really care now. But when we were planning it, we were like, oh, if it's not going to be great, we don't want to do it. And, and then we were like, yeah. this is a fine idea. Just open up the recording. Just start. And there's, um, this comes also from the, the So Good They Can't Ignore You book mm-hmm. where he, he talks about in sort of a section of it talking about like having this grand vision is actually sometimes really negative because you either believe it too much and then you like quit your job when you shouldn't mm-hmm. or you don't, you, you don't think it's even possible so you never click go. Sort of the both ends of the spectrum. And it's like, well, what was anything before it just like it doesn't just, things don't just start and be great. No. Very rarely. Like sometimes you get a, actually sometimes you get what Nassim Taleb would call a black swan mm-hmm. and it's just like, boom, and it takes off and you have a New York Times bestselling book right off the bat. But most of the people who have massive podcasts today, there was a point in time where it wasn't Ele- and that they had no listeners. 11, 12, 13 years of being on the microphone before anybody actually cared. Yeah. And one of the things I would encourage you to just consider is like this The Run Club thing. Does that actually give you, would you enjoy it prior to that and let that help you understand if you should start or not? 
And that's the thing, yes, because anytime I run with one human, yeah, I feel like you, when you're doing any sort of fitness related endeavor with another person, like I'm sure there's some psychological slash chemical aspect to this, but like you can't help but have more of a genuine experience with that person when yeah. you're both doing this difficult thing together versus just like meeting them in the world totally so when any yeah running with one person would actually be amazing well that's what's funny is because you were like well what if like just one person shows up and it's awkward but you like running with one person yeah like what if what if i was the one person who showed up? we'd have a great time yeah right um it is truly nonsense and in this moment i'm like becoming mad at myself that i haven't pulled the trigger yet (laughs) because here's the thing i haven't i haven't (laughs) true uh but I haven't even asked anybody. I haven't really put this into the yeah. world yet. There are people that I run with semi-regularly, and to none of them have I been like, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about starting this thing. Would you show up? I haven't even done that well, yet. Well, let me let me sort of toss this out into the world. I'm going to sign up for the mini. Yep. Right? Um, Scott Whitlock has made sure we're going to sign up for the mini. We have responsibilities now. Yep. Um, but I'm going to sign up for the mini. Mm-hmm. I need to run. I'll be student one. There's times where I'll have to, like, I'm going to be out of town on a couple Thursdays, like, whatever. Um, but I'll be runner one, and it might just be me and you. Yeah. And that's okay. But John would come. Mm-hmm. What if we just used, like, you guys run Thursday mornings? So that's what I want to figure out. I would actually want to put some thought behind the logistics of the thing. Yeah. Like, if I do want this to be a big thing, when realistically would most people be able to? Yeah. Because there's the, like, November project thing of, mm-hmm. like, everybody meets at 6 a.m. and it's this uh, whatever, right? And I personally resonate with that, but I don't think a lot of people do. I feel like that'd be a barrier to entry if it was 6 a.m. on a weekday. So my Or would it be easier because people don't travel on weekdays? I know a lot of people who run but are not 5 and 6 a.m. people. Yeah. And I don't want to create a barrier, create a barrier to barrier entry to, to those people. Well, but one of the things I would say just to consider, I don't know what the right answer is, is like, because I'm not really a 5 and 6 a.m. or myself. That would be mm-hmm. uncomfortable for me, but I'd probably make it happen for you because I'm a nice guy. Um, <laughs> but... I'm curious if you should build the run club that other people want or you should build the run club that you want. And who would you want to run with? Here's and so the thing. if you're like, I want six amers around Carmel to come here and mm-hmm. run with me and I want to build that, then build that. But so if you don't, then don't. The The running community that I resonate the most with was the Adidas runners or Adidas runners uh, that I ran with in London. And and they really, it was a firm thing around like, this is community mm-hmm. that just happens to run. Yeah. And sure, it'd be like cool to have like the 6 a.m.ers and the Goggins, right? All this stuff. But I wanted to be more welcoming to a broader group of people. So I here's what, I, like my future state would be that there's three runs a week, and one of them is the 6 a.m. for that group of people, but that's not where I'd want to start it. I would want to start it with either a, like, 5 p.m. on a weekday or 8 a.m. on a Saturday. Yeah. um, I was actually going to go down a similar line with you, and what I was going to say is curious about having it be the same day and there's a morning and an afternoon. So think about building it in the same way that you would build like a gym. Mm-hmm. And if you, I started a gym, I know how this goes. If I opened the gym with one class, nobody would come. Mm-hmm. Well, some people would come, but that, that'd be it. Um, but if I opened the gym with enough classes, then enough people would come. But if I opened the gym with too many classes, then there's no energy. Yeah. And so considering if my goal here is to get community built, then I really do want to make it a, attainable and attractive. If I'm trying to build a training program, it's going to be different. And I mean, like the people that I've talked to yeah. so far, like a little bit loosey about the idea, not about doing a club, but just running together more. 
most yeah. of those people after work works better. Cool. So that's where like, but I also do love the idea of like, if I could get people to do this on a weekend, because I mean, like people that run, run on the weekend, yeah, right? Sure. Like, why not? Because uh, one of the ideas I had was just starting it as the long run. Uh-huh. They're like, this club is people's long run for the week. Mm. And we start at five miles or whatever, and then we build up as yeah. people are training for various things. And once it gets big enough, you can have two group leaders, and one is leading the people that are training for the full, one's leading the people that are training for the half, maybe yeah. different pace groups, all those things. Yeah. But part of me likes the idea of like it being an 8 a.m. Saturday thing. I, I know personally my Saturday mornings are sacred. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know this about myself. Not to say I wouldn't do it. It's just like one of those things where I'm like, kind of like my thing. Yeah. Um, and so my bias goes to, I think people hold their weekends more dearly than they hold their weekdays, but that's sure. literally an individual bias mm-hmm. that has no proof to it. Um, Most likely it will start out as like a five or a 4.30, well, probably five, because I want this to expand beyond the walls of e3 like yeah. we have flexible enough lives that we can kind of do it whenever we want to yeah but there are people who won't have that make it a 5 p.m so make it like a 5 or a 6 p.m thing on yeah. a wednesday or thursday and i just need to do the damn thing well it's, it's interesting um i i will i will sort of end the conversation with the in the same way that we have not really cared about downloads for this show mm-hmm. because we just enjoy doing the show I think if you can approach the run club creation in a similar way where you're like, I'm just going to enjoy this, whether it becomes a thousand people or 10. I'm running either way. You're running either way. And so if you're like, I want to create community out of this and I will have fun again, whether it becomes huge or nothing. Great. I I mean, I'll tell you, dude, like our gym never got big, but the people were great. Yeah. And... Like, I think at our highest point, we had like 78 members, which is like not a lot. Mm-hmm. 100 is kind of the point where it's like, oh, you like kind of did something from an outside view. But like, man, we have really good groups of people who are created out of that. And yeah. that's cool. And uh, so maybe the Run Club never becomes 500, 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 people in Carmel. But like if it's 10 and it's a group of 10 people who go and run Thursday night or Saturday morning or whatever, both and like go and get brunch afterwards, go get beers after on Thursday or whatever. Like that becomes a thing that is a highlight for people's day. Like pretty cool, pretty cool thing. Pretty cool. All right, we're going to go do the thing. Let's go do, let's go do our work day. Oh.